Well, welcome again to LexCity.tv. I mean, what an encouraging time of worship and music this morning. Listen, if you love our worship team the way I do, you can follow their content on social media at City Sound Worship. On Instagram and Facebook, you can find more City Sound Worship music, videos, and encouragement during this season. You know, as a church, it's been wonderful watching so many of you step up and to be the church, not only in your generosity of giving, but in your generosity of time. Now, I know a lot of us have a lot of time, but it's still an accomplishment to see beyond ourselves, to, to help others, which is what our church was meant to do. Well, many of you have joined our Lexington response team a few weeks back, and as more needs are coming in, the church is able to meet them through your faithfulness there. Let me tell you some things that have happened just in the last couple weeks. This response team has brought multiple meals to shelters for both women and children. We brought art supplies for youth and family outreach centers. You've brought packable meals for the homeless kitchens, which are only able to do to-go meals during this time. You brought meals to family in our church who have been of need. Check out one of these moments of what is happening even within our own Lex City family. Hey Lex City, we're here. We've click listed. We've picked up some clothes. We're at the house. We're dropping it off. We got some booch. We got the, the Java and we're here. Everybody help others. We love you. Oh my goodness, thank you. There's so many things that are his favorites. I am very, very grateful for this blessing. This is this is the church. We're just the delivery people, but uh, God is the God is the ultimate one given this. So uh, thank you for giving us a chance to help others in this this horrible crisis. Pray that the silver lining in all this is that everybody can draw closer to each other and closer to you. And like you said, that people that need help, we pray that they can. Uh, lose their pride and, and, and drop the barriers and ask for help and we pray that others that are able to help can help you and we pray that more and more people can come to love you and know you as a result. We love you. It's in Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're excited to share with you today a new partnership in our community. We are joining a local organization called Food Chain to deliver meals to kids who depend on free lunches at schools. We've got a good-sized city, and the school systems are overwhelmed with delivering these lunches, and so we, as the Lexington Response Team, are able to help out. Food Chain takes local restaurants and turns their kitchen into a prepping area for local meals. You know, one of our partnerships is with our very own friends over at Dupree Catering. Hi, my name is Tom Evans, and I'm the owner of Dupree Catering and the Main on Main. And like so many other businesses in the hospitality industry, when COVID-19 hit, we were forced to close our doors and business as we knew it. But thanks to a connection between Food Chain and our executive chef, Janie Thompson, we're now able to partner with Food Chain and provide lunches for Fayette County Public School kids that are in need. Hi, uh, I'm Jane Thompson, chef at Dupree Catering. Food Chain Nourish Lexington program, which is providing local chefs that may not be employed currently, jobs that are then going out and feeding the community. We are kind of part of the Nourish Lexington program using our own kitchen to provide meals um, through them to the community. We're grateful for the partnerships like the one we have with Food Chain. They fill a much needed role in the community, often working under the radar doing God's good work. It's a blessing for us to be a blessing to others. Thank you for that gift, Lexington. Every day, these professional chefs and servers are using their talents in this season of need to feed the hungry children of our community. 
As Lex City, we are financially contributing to make hundreds of meals every week to meet the needs of these kids, and our response team will be helping distribute these meals in the days to come. Through your generosity, we have found a way to help support local businesses and feed the hungry in our city. Way to go, Lex City. I'm proud of you. Our city is blessed by who you're being in our community. You know, this ministry is made possible again by you and I giving back and being faithful and generous to the Lord through what he's given you. My wife Tammy and I, again, every week give and we're a part of giving online. It's a great way for us to give consistently our first fruits back to the ministries of our church family. And as our church is blessed, we have the joy and the blessing of being a blessing to our community around us. So I encourage you, easy ways that you can give right here is at lexcity.info. Find out ways you too can join the movement that's happening here. So let's join Pastor Zach for week number two of Things Jesus Never Said. Welcome to week two of Things Jesus Never Said. And if you're like me, you read a lot on social media, you read a lot online, and you hear a lot of sayings or things that you maybe just assume are things that Jesus said or that are in the Bible, and it's just not true. And last week, Pastor Brian kicked this series off by talking about the phrase, you won't have bad days, which we know Jesus never actually said that. And today we're going to be discussing another phrase that Jesus never said, which is the phrase, you get what you deserve. And that phrase can take on a lot of different meanings. That phrase can mean things like you get what you deserve, like when you're thinking about a coworker that drives you crazy or maybe a kid right now that lives in your home during quarantine, you're like, you get what you deserve. It can also mean sometimes something more positive, like if you just work hard, you'll get what you deserve. And so as a Christ follower, though, we are actually pretty thankful that we don't get what we deserve. So as we dive into it, let's look at one scripture right here. It's John 13, 35. Here's what it says. It was Jesus talking to his closest followers, kind of the one of the last things he said before he exited the earth. And he says this in John 13. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, that you are my Christ followers, if you love one another. He's basically saying, I will know that you're a follower of me, not by the jewelry you wear with the cross around your neck, not by what you share on Facebook every week, not even where you go to church on Sunday, not the family that you were born into, but how you love one another. In the same conversation, he said, let me tell you how I want you to love one another. I want you to love the way that I have loved now, here's kind of the problem is that because all of us, we, we know something about love to some extent. We've all experienced love to some extent, and we have. But Jesus said, people are, are going to know you're my followers by the way that you love each other. Now, if you open up uh, the Gospels, which are Mark, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are four different accounts of Jesus' life, and you open those up and you see how Jesus actually interacted and loved people it's pretty amazing, but it's pretty, it's pretty interesting to look at um, as well. It's a little bit scary. It's kind of like your, your, your call to follow Christ. It's a little bit inconsistent at times. And there's this tension there, and this tension that we want desperately to resolve. Because when you open the New Testament and you ask the question, how did Jesus love? Here's what you discover. Sometimes the way Jesus loved it was messy. 
It was at times inconsistent. At times it seemed to be unfair. And sometimes it was even a little bit confusing. And if you hear anything else I hear today, listen to this. If you try to resolve the tension of the way Jesus loved, you're going to miss something. You're going to give up something very, very important. And the answer is yes, there actually is a tension there about the way Jesus loved people. When you open the scriptures and you take seriously the teachings of Jesus, there's a tension. He at times seems to be very, very forgiving of people. And at times he seems to hold them really, really accountable to things. At times he's harsh. At times he's really, really kind. At times he points out sins. And at times it seems like he kind of just kind of ignores the sin altogether. And there's a tension that we deal with both personally and individually. And we're all tempted to resolve that tension. But if you resolve it, you're going to give up something really, really important. It's kind of what drove people crazy about Jesus. But he was comfortable with it. He was able to minister through it because we should not walk away from people and how we love them just because it's messy or inconsistent or unfair or confusing. And people sometimes look at Christ followers, look at the church and think this is a little bit confusing, what they believe, how they love, how they treat people. And as we look at uh, the book of John today, John was a follower of Jesus. And he wrote the book of John and he got to be an old man and he was one of the few followers that actually got to be an old man because most of the followers of Jesus kind of died and a lot of them died a lot of really tough deaths. We know, we know that Matthew died pretty, pretty early on, was burned at the stake. The apostle Paul, we, we know, was probably beheaded. We know that Peter was crucified and so many followers, they, they died as martyrs and some they just kind of like, just kind of faded into history. But we know that John actually got to live to be an old man. And so John was a survivor and he's an old man. It's about 40 to 45 years after the events of Jesus. And you remember Jesus said, I'm going to return. I'm going to come back. And they didn't know when. And so people were like, Jesus, is that like next Thursday or like June? Or when are we talking about you coming back? And after all these years have gone by, I believe that probably someone came to John and said, hey, I don't know if he's coming back right now and you're getting old and there's a lot of things you need to write down about your experiences and your life and the sayings of Jesus, things that you said that you had interactions with him. And they said, you need to sit down and write these things. And so he sits down and he begins to tell these stories and, and John saw a lot. He's seen death, he's seen sorrow, he's seen bloodshed. And he sits down and he, and he writes and begins this gospel and he begins his account of the life of Jesus and with this big grand picture of Jesus like being a word. And so we'll start in John 1 in verse 1. It says this. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And that God sent his word Jesus into the world and that word became flesh and he became human. He walked among us. He ate with us. He lived with us. And then he paints this beautiful picture. He says it's like Jesus painted a painting full of people. And then he like put himself in the painting, interacted with the people in the painting, and they didn't recognize that he was actually the artist and they threw him out. How powerful is that? Try to describe the conflict that he sensed among the people that Jesus came to love. And then in the opening section of that incredible piece of literature that you have in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he gives us this terminology. He gives us the words that best capture this tension. That if you are a follower of Jesus, you're going to bump into this at some point or another. 
And yet you know if you go one way or the other, you leave something out. And here are the words we're going to be talking about today. And it's in verse 14 of John chapter 1. It says this. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Let me stop there for a second. It says it's made, he became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. He doesn't just mean his dwelling among us now, 2,000 years later. He physically means his dwelling among the people. He lived with these people. He ate with these people. And he's saying, I've seen something. We've seen something that you don't even understand. And he goes on to say this. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father. And here are the words we're going to be discussing today. Full of grace and truth. Full to the brim of grace and truth. And there's the tension. And as I was preparing this message, I was thinking about, man, what an incredible season to focus on these words of grace and truth. The majority of us, we are right now, we're staying healthy at home. And those of you that aren't right now, you essential healthcare workers and people that are in essential businesses, thank you so much for what you're doing. But the majority of us, we are healthy at home right now and we are spending so much time together as families right now. And so I was thinking through all the things that we're doing right now and the things that are becoming commonplace in our homes. And I was thinking about how do I compare walking through this situation with truth or with grace? And I came up with a couple of things just for fun today. One of them is the issue of pajamas. People are wearing pajamas at an unprecedented rate right now. In fact, my son, Austin, who, uh, who is 12 years old right now, turned into a 75-year-old man during coronavirus. He now wears a robe like 14 hours a day. We've had to tell him you can't wear the robe past noon. It's just weird, all right? And so pajamas have become a thing. And truth would say, um, you know, when someone walks out in pajamas for the day, are you really wearing PJs all day again? Have you heard the term dress for success? But Grace would say, oh, that's a flannel I haven't seen yet, babe. Thanks for changing it up today. In the area right now, a lot of us, we've become homeschool teachers, things we were not prepared to do. And truth right now would say, I would like a break from common core math. I don't even know what, I wasn't raised on that, right? And some of you are saying, mom needs some alone time so I can like you again, kids. But Grace would say, I'm appreciative of the extra time I get with my kids. And when this is over, every teacher in America should make like a million dollars a year. That's what Grace would say. I think about right now the fact that we're all eating at home so much. We're eating so many meals at home right now. And truth would say, especially from the kids right now, are we really having spaghetti leftovers again? And Grace would say, wow, look at all the different ways you found to cook pasta this week. That's incredible. Also right now, so many of us are on so many Zoom calls right now. I feel like my whole life is on Zoom. I'm actually living in like Zoom fatigue right now because we have so many Zoom calls right now. Truth would say something like this on your business call. We're pretty sure that Steve isn't wearing pants right now on the Zoom call. And Grace would say, you know what? I kind of like casual Steve. Steve's cool like that, right? And the last example, we have something here in Kentucky called Five O'Clock with Andy. And if you're, no, if you're not watching from Kentucky, basically uh, Governor Andy Bashir is our governor. And he's done a great job of communicating every day with us at Five O'Clock. And Truth would say, and Andy would say, we can't be doing that, Kentucky. But Grace would say, hey, we are Team Kentucky. We are Kentucky strong. We're going to do this together. And so as we talk about grace and truth, 
I, ha- I have an example I want to give us uh, here today. And, and I think we know, a lot of us know what truth is. Truth is just the truth. It's honesty. It's, what, it's what's true in our lives. Grace, from a biblical standpoint, grace just means undeserved favor or merit. And you know, you know, we talk about, you know, truth is accountability. Grace is basically saying that you're forgiven. Grace says you're fine. Truth says you need to work on this. Grace says I love you no matter what you do. And so there's this tension there. And what's interesting in all of us is that we all kind of have a natural bent towards one or the other. We either kind of naturally, our, our DNA, how we're wired is either wired more towards truth or wired more towards grace. And I think if you grew up in a, in a family that maybe you had both sets of parents, you probably noticed that you had one uh, parent that was grace and maybe one that was what you would call like Mr. Ungrace, right? He was all about the truth. And your parents, behind closed doors, they would talk about how they're going to raise you, how they're going to guide you, how they're going to lead you. And there was always this grace and truth conversation going on. In fact, as parents, now we do that a lot right now. And when your parents were in that room behind closed doors, you were just hoping that the grace parent was going to win every time, right? That they were going to come out and go, it's okay, we love you the way you are. It's all good. Just keep doing what you're doing. But if you were raised in a great home, you got a healthy dose of both. I think if you're a parent watching right now, that's kind of what our goal is to raise our kids with a healthy dose of both grace and truth. And Ashley and I have to admit that we are very different from each other. I'm definitely more grace. She's definitely more truth. And I know I drive her crazy sometimes by the way that I parent and she puts up with me. But a lot of times we, we can also kind of flex to the one that's not natural. Like I can be more truth and she can be more grace. It's probably so that we can just kind of keep our kids on, on their toes so they can't pen us against each other, you know, and make us argue with each other about those kind of things. And so here's the deal. Here's what John said. John said, I spent years watching Jesus navigate the intricacies of difficult conversations with people. And this is what I saw. And this is my description that I want to give what it was like to be with Jesus. That Jesus, as he walked the earth, was the full embodiment of both truth and grace. Not 50-50, but 100% truth and 100% Grace, he was full to the brim of both. And a lot of us, we just want to kind of lean towards one way or the other. I want to push Jesus into one direction or the other. I like the verses that lean towards truth when I'm giving somebody else advice about their life, but I like the verses about grace when someone wants to talk to me about my life. Because that whole phrase, you get what you deserve, is all about truth, and there's no grace in that statement at all. And I was thinking about it this week, and what would it look like to have truth without grace and grace without truth, and I kind of came up with this phrase. That truth without grace can sometimes just be cruel. But that grace without truth can be enabling. It can be enabling. And John said, I watched him. And the best way I can describe it is that he was full of grace and truth. And out of that fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given, which literally means we all have received grace upon grace upon grace. And it goes on to say in John 1.17, for the law was given through Moses. 
And let me pause there for a second, bring a point of clarification that he says, for the law, he's referring to the 10 commandments in the Old Testament, along with the other 600 plus commandments. You remember, maybe you've seen the the movie of Moses where he comes down with the tablets in his hands and he says, here is what God expects of us. Thou shalt not this and thou shalt not that. And if you do these things, here's what's going to happen. You have to make a sacrifice at the temple and you have to get atonement for that. And so it says the law was given, and that's a word there, we, a distinctive word, through Moses. And I think that John maybe had to pause when he was writing this for a second and go, how do I put this next part on paper? Because then it says grace and truth came. They weren't given, but they came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth came. The word was begotten. It was born. It kind of showed up as the full package through Jesus Christ. Not the balance between, but the full embodiment of. And I feel like this is what made Jesus so messy. This is what made Jesus so confusing to people at the time. Because in some ways it made him so unpredictable because it's everybody wants him to lean either towards truth or lean towards grace. And he was the full embodiment of both at all times. And John said that when he was all of it, he brought all of it to bear in every conversation, in every situation with people that he interacted with. And just when we thought he was going to go one way or the other, he was grace and truth in human form, in a body. If you begin to read the Gospels again through that lens of grace and truth and the way Jesus loved, that Jesus didn't give people what they deserved. He gave them both grace and truth. And there's a story in John chapter four, a few chapters later about a Samaritan woman and Jesus is at a well and the Samaritan woman, she comes up to the well and it's just the two of them and Jesus begins to talk to her. And that in and of itself was grace because back then a Jewish man and a Samaritan woman would not interact with each other. And Jesus basically asked her, hey, could you get me some water from the well? Could you use your jar and get me some water? And she's like, whoa, this is weird. This guy is talking to me right now. And it's going pretty well. And then he says this, hey, I want you to go back into Sikar, the town that she's from, and get your husband and bring him out. And she says, well, I have no husband. And Jesus says, I know. And then it takes a turn. And then he reaches in to the most painful part, the most shameful part of her life. And he said, actually, you've, you've had five husbands. And the guy you're living with now you're not even married to. And those five husbands, they either died or you divorced them. But basically what he's saying is you have failed in your relationships. And it's like, whoa, Jesus, that is harsh. That is all truth. Where is the grace here? And then in this moment, he decides to a Samaritan woman to reveal what he hasn't revealed to anybody else in all the gospels. He looks at her and he says, eyeball to eyeball, you right now are speaking with the Messiah with the Messiah of God. And he's saying, you know, this water will quench your thirst now, but I can give you living water that will quench your thirst forever like no man ever could. And so she leaves the jar there and she runs back into town and she's so excited. She's telling everybody in the town that she has met the Messiah, people that she probably has no credibility with, but she's so excited about it. And as you guys know, we just celebrated Good Friday and Easter just a couple of weeks ago. And you know, Jesus was crucified and he hung next to two criminals. And as a kid, I was always told that they were thieves. But as I researched that, they really weren't thieves because they crucified the worst of the worst, not the thieves on the cross. 
I mean, these people were so bad they couldn't even be trusted to be slaves or to work in a mine. They crucified between two of them. And one of them basically say, says to Jesus, we're getting what we deserve. In that moment, you kind of think Jesus will say, oh, and, and the grace-filled part will say, oh, no, you're not, you're not that bad or you have a good heart or you're a good man. Don't be so hard on yourself. But he kind of looks at him kind of like, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's, that's the truth. But then the grace kicks in and he says, when you breathe your last breath, and I breathe my last breath, we will be in the same place today. Today you will be in paradise with me. And you read that and you go, okay, whoa, whoa, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Just a couple of chapters ago, this, this, this rich ruler came and asked you what he had to do to inherit eternal life. And you told him to go sell everything that he had and to follow him. How is this fair? This guy on the cross, this criminal, gets in with like one minute left on the clock and this other person has to sell everything that they have to follow you, it doesn't seem very fair. And so there's this tension there. And I'm telling you, if you try to resolve it, you will lose something. You will give something up. Another great example, if you move a couple of chapters later into John chapter eight, one of the most famous stories in the gospel of John the Pharisees bring uh, this lady who's been caught in adultery and they kind of throw her in front of Jesus. And they say, hey, this lady was caught in adultery. They're basically trying to trick Jesus here because they, they really don't care about her. They care about kind of tricking Jesus at this point. And they're like, hey, according to the law of Moses, you need to stone her. And what they mean by stone her is literally picking up rocks and throwing them at her until she dies. It's a terrible way to go. And Jesus looks at them and says, you know, he who has no sin cast the first, stone, the first stone. He who has never looked at a woman lustfully in their heart cast the first stone. He who has never lied, he who has never cheated, he who has never stolen before cast the first stone. And they, one by one, begin to walk away where it's just Jesus and the woman, just the two of them. Because he made everyone uncomfortable and he looks at this woman and he says, I don't, condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. And you're reading this and you're saying, well, which way is it? Is it I don't condemn you or you're a sinner? And he says, yes, I don't condemn you. Now go and leave and sin no more. Did you bring up, then why'd you bring up the sin part? Well, yes, we have to. Well, then, well, then how can you say she's not condemned? Because this is how I love. I am the full embodiment of both grace and truth. Now, again, as Christ followers, as we try to get this right, and we don't always get it right, and as a church, we don't always get this right. We find ourselves in difficult situations with these conversations that we get into, and, and we say, God, we're not going to speak the truth, but we want to be both, and it's conflicting, and like Jesus, we're trying to figure out, and it's just messy. But if you want to know what Jesus meant by what Jesus said, you watch what Jesus did. If you want to know what Jesus meant when Jesus said love one another, then you watch how Jesus loved. And do you know how he loved? He called sin, sin. And then he paid for it. And having paid for it, he declared, I don't condemn you. And then he says to all of us, now that I've called sin, sin, I've paid for it. And I said, I don't condemn you. Now I want you to leave your life of sin. And if you don't, I still love you. If you can't right now in this moment, I still love you. And if you're so wounded by the things in your life that have happened to you and you can't do that right now, I still love you. I still love you. And if somebody else has sinned against you and put you in a place 
where you've just kind of self-destructed and you're in a spiral right now and it's a hard time right now with coronavirus being stuck at home and you can't do it right now. He's saying, you know what? I still love you anyways. Because the truth is we're all sinners and grace says, I don't condemn you and no one will ever love you more and I can't love you any more than I do right now. But there's a tension there. There's a tension. If you ever try to resolve it, you give up something important. And do you know why we can't let go of truth? The reason we can't, we keep saying what's true is because sin has a gotcha. Sin has a gotcha and God doesn't want it to get you. Constantly he says, here's what's true. Here's how you got to live. Here's how you need to treat people. Here's what you do with your morality and your ethics. Here's why you don't steal. Here's why you don't lie. Here's why you don't cheat. Here's why we confess our sin. Here's why we have to be accountable. Because sin has a gotcha and I don't want it to get you. On the flip side, the reason we can't let go of grace is because to some extent sin already got us. Sin already gotcha. And grace is your only way back. Grace is your only way home. Grace is our only way to connect or reconnect with a loving heavenly father. And so you need truth and you need grace so that we don't get what we deserve from our sin, from our mess ups, from our mistakes. And if Jesus was the full embodiment of both grace and truth, and if the church is his body, We are his hands, we are his feet, we are the best expression of Jesus anyone will ever know, then we have to be comfortable with the mess. We have to be comfortable with the unfairness and the inconsistency and all the stuff that goes with managing and hanging on to the tension, what I believe is a healthy tension around grace and truth. But after a bunch of years of being in ministry and after a bunch of of years of having hard conversations where I've offended people and where people have left and where people then come back and reestablish themselves and get reinvested in the church over and over again, what I've convinced them more than ever is this, that the church at its best is at its best when it embraces both grace and truth and refuses to let go of either. Let me say that one more time. The church is at its best when it embraces both grace and truth and refuses to let go of either. If you want to know what Jesus meant when Jesus said love one another, I think this is it. It's messy. It's difficult. It involves love that involves grace and truth. And we dare not let go of either because there was a time in my life, in your life, if you're already a Christ follower, where you had to have a dose of truth and you had to have a dose of grace. And there will come a time in the future for all of us where we will need an extra dose of truth and an extra dose of grace. And the church is to be the dispenser of both of those things. So let's be a church that's all about the grace of God. Let's be a church that's all about the truth of God. Let's be Christ followers or disciples that are all about the grace and truth of God, And let's manage that tension to his glory so that every person from every walk of life, when they see a church or when they see a Christ follower, maybe they can't get it from just reading the words on a page, but they can sense it so real when they interact with one of you. Let's be those people. And today, if you're watching right now and you're going, you know what? I've kind of only ever experienced the truth side of what it looks like to involve myself with Jesus or the church. I want to tell you right now that God has something huge in store for your life. 
Because the grace part is where the relationship with Jesus comes in. And maybe you're watching today and you've never actually said, you know what, I think I actually have a personal relationship with Jesus. I want to challenge you today, if you're watching, no matter where you're watching and what platform you're watching and what room you're watching in your house, that I want to tell you God desperately wants a relationship with you through his son, Jesus. He says that he knows our mess-ups, he knows our mistakes. We don't get what we deserve. Instead, we get a relationship with Jesus. Maybe that's you today and you're in the midst of a tough time in your life and you're feeling hopeless and you're feeling like your life doesn't have any purpose and you're going, how do I find purpose? How do I fill this hole that's in my heart? And I will tell you right now that you can fill it with a relationship with Jesus. So I'm gonna say a prayer right now and it's not a magical prayer. The prayer doesn't save you. It's just you, your heart connecting with the very heart of God. And if that's you, just pray this prayer with me right now in the quietness of your own heart and the quietness of your own home to say something like this. Say, dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that my sin and my mess-ups and my mistakes separate me from you. But today, God, I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to save me. I ask you to change me. I'm so thankful for the grace that you give me in my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer to accept Christ in your life, we are so excited. We want to celebrate that with you. If you could do me one quick favor right there at the bottom of the screen. For a lot of you, you can just click on that button that says, I prayed so we can celebrate with you. You can also go into the comment or chat feature right there and click I prayed. Or you can also go to lexcity.info and that's everything you need to know about our church right there. But one of those things says, I prayed. Just click on that I prayed button. We want to send you some next steps some things that you can do to kind of get along in your faith journey right now with us. And so we are so pumped that you made that decision today. Well, thanks for joining us for week two of Things Jesus Never Said. Next week, Pastor Brian will be back with week three of Things Jesus Never Said. We'll see you then. Oh, hey, you're still here. Okay, well, uh, first of all, if you made that decision to follow Jesus, that is awesome. And so make sure you hit that button. You still got time if you're waiting to do that. For others of you, I don't maybe know why you're still here. Are you just looking for some more content? Uh, go to Lex City Church on social media. They got a bunch of fun stuff. You can even follow Lex City Youth on social media or go find us on TikTok. All right, we got some cool stuff that we like to post. I don't know what else you need. Uh, go to lexity.info. That's going to answer all of your questions that you're still sitting here waiting to ask. Uh, go join a group. We got fun groups. Maybe you just need someone to play games with. All right, hit me up. Uh, we can play video games. I don't know for sure what you still need. Um, maybe you're just waiting for Kid City. I guess that's about to start soon. Yeah, we like two minutes. Maybe that's why you're still here. Uh, but while we wait, uh, team, just go ahead, roll those credits. Hmm. 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 Hmm.